in our giving. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. I invite you to open your Bibles with me there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Uh, this is uh, kind of a letter uh, that was written by John, John the disciple of Jesus. John, who uh, considered himself, uh, I think he considered himself Jesus' best friend. I don't know if Jesus considered him that way, but, but John definitely did. He talks about himself being the beloved uh, of Jesus. Uh, but he's, he's writing, really, in a way here in First John, this letter that he's writing to the church as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, offering encouragement, offering a word of challenge, inviting us to see ourselves really in that same way, to understand who we are in connection and relationship to Christ and what that means in our lives. And so we're reading here in First John uh, chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, See what love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Uh, this is the word of God for the people of God. We say thanks be to God. So at the, at the heart of this passage, and if you were to continue to read on in 1 John 3, and, and even kind of throughout this letter, at the heart of this passage is this idea that, that those who are in Jesus are children of God. Right? And that it means something to be a child of God. Now, I, I know the popular sentiment that we kind of hear throughout culture, throughout the world, is that, well, we're, we're all God's children, right? And, and I don't know that that's necessarily what we see in Scripture, uh, Scripture says that, sure, we've all been created by God. You and I have been created in God's image. But child of God is a different category altogether. There's something special about that. Jesus is the Son of God, is God's child, eternally begotten of the Father, right? I mean, it's not in our natural state to be on that same level as Jesus, right? If Jesus is God's child, I'm, I'm not there, I'm not there, but the good news that John invites us to hear and know is that while we might not naturally be children of God, that God has adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ. While it might not be my natural state to be a child of God, that God looked out and he chose me. God looked out and he chose you and he said, I want, I want her to be a part of my family. I want, I want him to be a part of my family. I, God looked out, he saw you, he loved you, and he chose you. And he said, won't you come and be a part of my family? He has adopted you as a child of God. To be a child of God is a privilege. It's a, it's a blessing. Right? God loved you enough to not leave you as you were, and so he adopted you into his family through Jesus Christ. And now you have all of the benefits that come from having God, your heavenly Father, acting on your behalf as your Father. And all you had to do was say yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, yes to being in this relationship with God, and, and the papers were signed in heaven. You were made a part of the family. There's such a, such a joy that can come from just thinking through and, and taking hold of this kind of love that God has for us, that we would be able to be called 
children of God. Now, in being a child of God, John gives us uh, in this passage what I would say are three birthmarks of being a child of God, right? As we're, as we're born, we, we oftentimes have these different birthmarks that we, that we have. And, and so as we are a part of God's family, as we're being born anew, born again into his family, there's these birthmarks that become a part of us that, that begin to, to be a part of our life, that uh, become a part of who we are as we're born into God's family. As we enter into life with God, uh, these marks identify us as children of God. And so the first uh, birthmark that we see in 1 John 3 is that, that you behold the love of God. Right, this first verse, it says, see what love the Father has lavished upon us. But, but this word see, it's not like a, hey, would you look at that over there? Hey, hey, hey come check this out, look. It's got a much deeper meaning to it. It's this word uh, that means to behold, to take in with awe and, and wonder just what God has done for you. To be amazed by what God has done. John is reveling in the fact that not only would God forgive sinners such as us, but that he would go so far as to make us his children. Right? It's not just that we're forgiven, it's that we become children of God. There's a great love that that we see within that, that God has for each of us, John invites us to linger on that fact of how much God loves us, that we become blown away by it, that we, that we marvel with awe and wonder just how much God loves us. John wants us to never uh, lose that sense of amazement, that ongoing experience of joy that comes from the fact that God has called you his child, that God has brought you into his family, that you've become co-heirs with Christ with all the rights and privileges that come with being a child of God. It's this kind of awe and wonder captured in that great hymn, Amazing Grace. Right? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see it's this wonder and amazement that this is something that's new and fresh for us all the time. To be caught up in how amazing it truly is. God loved me enough to send his only son, Jesus, that he would give his life, that he would die on my behalf. That while I was an enemy of God, uh, while I was living completely opposed to God's will and God's ways, while I was pursuing my own interests over God's interests, while I was trying to fill that God-shaped hole in my heart with anything and everything I could find instead of filling it with God, that God loved me enough that he gave his only son, not just to forgive me, but to gave his only son so that I could be a co-heir with him, that I could be a part of his family. Something that's incredible as we, as we think about that, as we reflect on that, as we build our lives upon that. God only loved us enough to forgive us, but he loved us enough to welcome us in as his children. The invitation that is, as a child of God is to never lose that sense of amazement. Right, to never lose that sense of wonder about what God has done for you. To take time each day, to take time each week to remember what it means for God to love you enough to call you his child. John even goes to great detail. He says, not only, hey, there's some love that God has for you. He says, see what love the Father has lavished upon us. I, I love this word lavish because it doesn't mean just a little bit. 
I mean, it's exceedingly, abundantly, so much love that it, that it pours over and pours out of us. It's more than what we could take in. It's so much that it begins to change and, sh- and shape who we are. My, my daughter was making some cranberry bread the other day. The recipe called for a fourth of a cup of butter. And I think my daughter's been watching Paula Dean because... Uh, <laughs> She just stuck a whole stick in, right? I mean, she just, just like a whole cup of butter just into the bread, right? So much so, right, that the bread is changed. It's, it's a little bit different than what the recipe called for. It's like when the recipe calls for just a pinch of salt, and you're like, nah, I'm just going to pour the whole thing in there. It's so much salt that it changes the entire nature of what you're doing. It changes the entire flavor. That's what it means when it says that God has lavished his love upon us so much, more than what we could take in so that it that it changes our very nature. That's the kind of love that God has for us. God's love for us is lavish. It's, it's never ending. It's never failing. It's never giving up. It's always and forever poured out more than what we could contain, no matter how many times you might mess up, no matter how many missteps or mistakes, no matter how many failures. God continues to pour out love and pour out love and pour out love and pour out love and tell you, hey, you're my, you're my daughter, I love you. You're, you're my son, I love you. You're my daughter, I am, I am proud of you. You are my son, I am proud of you. I love you, my child. It's the kind of love that's poured out within our lives that truly changes us as we take the time to behold it. And the second birthmark of being a child of God is that this love of God takes such a hold of you you become beholden by it, perhaps even you know, intoxicated by the love of God so much to the point that your life becomes unintelligible to the world. John says that in being children of God, the world doesn't know us. It doesn't recognize us because it does not know him. Our lives are so different because we've been so seasoned with the salt of God's love that, that our lives don't fit in to the way the world operates. John's not saying necessarily that, that, you're, that you're weird. But he's, I mean, maybe you are, but that's not because of God's love, right? Like, he's saying, he's saying that you're, love you, man. No, he's saying that your choices as a child of God are, are so different that the world doesn't comprehend it. It doesn't make sense. You know, Paul chimes in in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 18. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It doesn't make sense to people who, who haven't been consumed and wrapped up and filled with the love of God. The, your life is so different. You operate under a different system of values. The, the things that you do with your time, with your, with your talent, with your treasures, it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. They cannot comprehend why you would do that. I mean, t- take, for example, just being in church on a Sunday morning. It doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, to those who don't have a, a, a reason to give thanks and praise. It doesn't make sense. Sunday morning seems like a good day to sleep in, right? To go fishing, to play golf. For the non-child of God who might work, you know, the Monday through Friday, Sunday is a day off from work because my employer is just feeling kind of generous and wants to give me some time off. And I've earned it and I deserve it. And so I'm going to take my time and do whatever I please. 
Sunday for much of history has been a day off, not because employers are generous, which if we think about it doesn't always make a lot of sense, but, but because it is the Lord's day. Right? And at one point in time, it was so ingrained into the consciousness of life within nations that, that people who were following Jesus were setting it up so that no employee was going to be working on the Lord's day. Because we're all going to be able to join together and give him the praise and the honor and the glory that he deserves, right? It, the, the mindset was that we have to stop everything, shut it all down so we can behold the great love of God. The, the amount of money that I can earn by being open isn't worth being able to worship and give thanks and honor to this God who has loved me so much. Much of the world isn't going to understand why you're taking time on a beautiful day like today to go to church, to give thanks, to to worship this God who has loved you so much. I mean, it's it's why they have kids' sports games on Sundays now, right? I mean, if Sunday is just a day, like any other day, then why does it matter? Do whatever you want. And, and, And the sinister part of it, and this isn't, you know, perhaps on the the sports leagues, but just, I think, kind of Satan's plot behind it is that if we can convince children when they're younger that it doesn't matter to be a part of God's family, that that joining together and the filling up either, it's not going to be important. And, And honestly, I can remember a time when they didn't have professional sports games on Sunday mornings. Did you know the Colts and the Patriots kicked off right at the same time that we kicked off today? Again, money is more important than faith. Hey, we can play this game at 930 and somebody's going to tune in. And again, the sinister part is that if we can convince men to stay home and watch football, the world knows it's got a good chance of stopping the whole family. Because there's been study after study after study that's been done, and it points to this idea that if, if a child says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus, I'm going to go to church, there's a 3.5% chance that the whole household will go. If the mother says, you know what, I'm, I've made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to church, there's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will go. But if the father is first and says, I'm going to church, there's a 93% probability. You can't tell me that Sunday morning football isn't part of Satan's plans to keep people from beholding the love of God and from being beholden by it. Right? I mean, again, the fact that you're here doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. I, I mean, and then if we continue to, to extrapolate beyond that, right, the way that you spend the rest of your time the way that you live, the way that you spend your talent, your treasures, it's, it's unintelligible to the world that hasn't become beholden by God's love. The way that you use what you've been given for God's glory says, you know what, I understand that this has been a gift from my father and that it belongs to him, and so I'm going to use it to honor what he's done for me. The way that you give of yourself, the way that you give of that time, talent, and treasures, it's, it's different. The world doesn't understand why you would do that, why you would spend it in that way, why you would, why would you choose to offer yourself in service in that way. Not, not for your own sake, not for your own benefit, not for your own glory, but for somebody else. You live differently in a way that makes no sense to the world because you've been beholden by God's love. Your ethical commitments, 
the morals that you uphold because they've been revealed to you in God's word because your father says, hey, this is the best life for you. It doesn't make sense to people who haven't been overtaken by God's love. The way that you forgive others because you know what it is to be forgiven much doesn't make sense to the world. The way that you can live with a faith in God that knows that he can move the mountains, that he can part the seas and let you walk right through. The way you have a a peace and a confidence in your heavenly father who knows how to give good gifts to his children so that you don't panic even though the earth would shake and the mountains would fall into the sea. That doesn't make sense to the world. The peace that passes all understanding just doesn't come to anybody else's mind who doesn't have that love of God that says I am a child of God and he holds me within his hand that he that he cares for me deeply that he will make a way that's that's being beholden by God's love your life is not intelligible to the rest of the world the third birthmark of being a child of God is that you begin to take on the family resemblance by first John 3 3 it says all who have this hope in him, in Jesus, purify themselves just as he is pure. I mean, this kind of echoes this call that goes throughout scriptures. It says to be holy as God is holy. Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. And the goal of the Christian life, honestly, the goal of God in you becoming one of his children is that you would take on this family resemblance that as Jesus was in this world, so that you would be also. Some of y'all might not know this, um, but we have a Boy Scout program that meets here at church. Uh, they they kind of use our facility. We have a great connection, partnership with them. When they have their court of honor ceremonies to give out awards, and, and I, think they, I think they probably do this actually every time that they meet, but they, they quote, they all say together uh, the Boy Scout oath and the Boy Scout law. And if you've been a Boy Scout, you might know this. The, the Scout law is, uh, Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Right? And they repeat this every time that they gather. And they, the goal is that each kid, each young man who becomes a part of this program would take on these values and begin to live and act in this way, right? They're, they're, they're trying to reproduce these values in each young boy and each young man who's a part of their program. And it's, it's not necessarily cookie cutter and how they live it out, but these values are determined already. And when you sign up, you're saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strive to live out these values in my life. Their goal is to take young men and shape them in such a way that they become trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. As, as children of God, right? we are to take on this family resemblance to purify ourselves as Christ is pure, to, to throw off the sin that entangles us so that we can run the race that is set for us, so that we can be made holy as Christ is holy. And I believe at some point in time, I've shared this illustration before, but I think it's, I think it's so good that this holiness that Christ invites us to live out isn't a, a holiness that's fragile and has to be protected from everything else. Right? Like my mom grew up uh, kind of in the hills of West Virginia in a Pentecostal church, and there, the whole mantra was, you know, you don't smoke, you don't, uh, you don't drink or curse or smoke or chew, and you don't hang around people that do. Right? Like that's, that's what holiness 
look like within, within her mindset. But I think there's a different idea of what holiness is. Right? Rather than it's something that we have to worry about being polluted, holiness is, is more like bleach. Meaning that holiness, God's holiness within our lives, God's love being so shed abroad within our heart that we are made like Christ, is something that's so powerful. It's so full of that love of God that it can't help but change everything else that's around it. Everything that it comes into contact with is changed because of it. Bleach isn't changed when it comes into contact with something. The thing is changed when it comes into contact with bleach. My my two-year-old sometimes has some accidents what they do. They have accidents. Uh, And some not so good accidents, right? And and so when he does, like my go-to is to look for some bleach that I can pour on it because I know that the bleach is going to purify, is going to cleanse whatever it is, whatever that mess is. And and I also know that I have to be careful with that bleach because if it splashes on something else, that other thing, uh, that's something else, if it splashes on my clothes, my clothes are also going to have the effects of that bleach coming on it. I've got to be mindful about which rag I'm using as I'm wiping it up because the bleach is so powerful that it changes everything. I think about Jesus. When Jesus came into contact with the blind man, did Jesus become blind? No, the blind man began to see. When Jesus came into contact with the man who was born lame, Jesus didn't become lame. Rather, the man who was born lame began to walk. When Jesus went over to Zacchaeus' house, the tax collector, Jesus didn't start stealing money from people. Instead, Zacchaeus said, you know what? Because I've had this encounter with Jesus, because I've met the very holiness and the love of God, I'm going to pay back what I took. Uh, four times what I've stolen, I'm going I'm I'm to give it back. Right? Jesus steps in and he changes things. He makes a difference. His holiness is such, his love is such that it changes everything that it comes into contact with. Lives were changed. Blind began to see. The lame were made to walk. The, the hungry were fed. The outcast experienced welcome. Jesus even said this kind of vision, this, this mission of his life. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. Uh, That the prisoner would go free, that the oppressed would experience deliverance. So as a child of God, we're to take on this family resemblance of Jesus. That our lives are so filled to overflowing with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, with his power, with his holiness, that it can't help but change everything else around us. When people see us, ultimately, they see Jesus. Now, the thing about these, these birthmarks of being a child of God is that uh, these aren't things that we can just make happen on our own. Right? You, you put all your effort into being pure and holy. Uh, it, it doesn't just happen because of your effort. You can't make yourself pure. Your efforts are just going to look like your efforts. Your life only becomes this level of different. As you take that time to observe that first birthmark, to behold the love that God has for you, to let it sink in so deep that it begins to change you from the inside out, right? It's, it's God's love for you that is life-changing. It's only as you take that in, as you meditate upon it, as you sit in awe and wonder of this love that God has for you, that life begins to... When I fail to behold the love that God has for me, when I don't take the time to be reminded of just what it means that God loves me, 
of just to, to know what it means that, that God has shown his love that when I was a sinner, when I was an enemy of God, whenever I was living in my own way, that, that he sent his son to die for me. I fail to, to behold that and to be beholden by that. When I, when I fail to remember that God is going to take care of me because he has but when you have this love of God that is deep down within your soul, you don't have that worry and anxiety because you know that God loves you as his child. That love becomes life-changing. When you, when you think about the love that God has for you and you, you recall how the birds of the air neither toil nor sow, but yet God makes sure they have food inside out, when you, when you see and you know, you're reminded that when you were an enemy of God, that Christ died for you, that he gave himself up for you, that God took him who knew no sin to be made sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. And that takes root down deep within your soul. That begins to change your life. So this morning, I'd invite you just to, to take a moment to reflect on, to sit in awe and wonder of this love that God has for you, that he would call you his and if you've already said yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you would say, yes, I'm a child of God, then, then take time to revel in that fact. Take time to, to give thanks for that fact that you have been called and invited into God's forever family. If this morning you, know, you would say, you know what, I, I don't really know what it would mean to be a child of God. I, I haven't really experienced that. I haven't, I haven't really said yes to Jesus before as, as my Savior. I'm just going to invite you to, uh, as, we, as we close our eyes to pray, I'm going to invite you to pray uh, this prayer along with me, to invite him to come in, to, to invite him to, to fill and to flood your life with that lavish love that just overflows and begins to change you and shape you forever. Now, if you would, join me in prayer. Say, Almighty God, Abba Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you that he rose from the dead so that I can have life, so that I could be born again, so that I could become your child. I invite you to change me. I want to know that love never ending. I want to know that grace overflowing. I want to have your joy and your peace. Help me to trust in you. Help me to follow you. Help me to behold your love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>